Welcome back to the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. This is the fourth and final part of our four-part podcast series looking at the impact of the COVID-19 coronavirus on various segments of aviation. Today, we are focusing on the core topic of our podcast, connectivity, and we think we have three different perspectives that will give you some insight on not only how COVID-19 is impacting companies that supply connectivity to operators, but also how it is supporting some of the air cargo supply relief missions that have been highlighted by the media. I'll be interviewing representatives from Global Eagle Entertainment and Honeywell Aerospace later. But first, during his first quarter earnings call last week, Flight Aerospace CEO Tom Schmoltz discussed how the drop in air travel demand and just the overall operational disruption presented by COVID-19 is impacting his company and their customers. And I think it gives some really good perspective and is a good way to introduce the topic for today's episode. Flight is a Canadian company based in Calgary, Alberta that provides voice and data communications, aircraft health monitoring, flight tracking, and flight data recorder streaming technology. So let's get into Tom Schmoltz's first quarter earnings discussion. The commercial environment has changed pretty dramatically for flight and the rest of the commercial aerospace with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll use data from a 2 April 2020 ICAO presentation entitled Effects of the Novel Coronavirus on Civil Aviation Economic Impact Analysis presentation, which is available online. This report includes preliminary estimates which indicate that the COVID-19 impact on scheduled international passenger traffic during the first half of 2020 compared to originally planned traffic will have the following results, depending upon whether or not the recovery that we expect takes a V-shaped or a U-shaped path. There's going to be an overall reduction of 37 to 48% of seats offered by airlines, an overall reduction of 411 to 435 million passengers, and approximately the U.S. 90 to 118 billion potential loss of gross operating revenues for Air Ireland. These figures are based upon a current postulation of scenario one, a V-shaped path, quick recovery from May 2020, and scenario two, a U-shaped path, prolonged contraction through June of 2020. There are many assumptions that feed these potential scenarios, and the presentation is careful to indicate that these are estimates and may not describe what type of recovery that we actually see. From flight's perspective, we continue to ship from orders received from the Airbus backlog. We announced a U.S. $2.43 million order for AFERS modems and licenses from L3 Harris in January of this year, from which we expect to ship the entire order also within this year. If we do, the licensing revenues from those shipments will exceed those of 2019, which I reported earlier represented the first year-over-year increase in licensing since 2016. The backlog for Airbus aircraft, according to their website, as of 29 February, was 6,209 A320 family aircraft, 547 A220s, 
and 328 A330s. With that significant backlog, it is my opinion that significant deliveries will continue to be made through this challenging period and that we have a good chance to deliver the announced order within the year as planned. Secondly, flight continues to receive programmed revenues from the National Mesonet Program, which it recognizes in the SAS category of revenue. Recall that flight received as part of the assets of Panasonic Weather Solutions a residual contract and task order for TAMDAR observations valued at US 2 million per year, which is paid monthly. The government contracting for the future of this program is underway and should be completed in, a, in April. All indications are that the, that the program will continue and that flight will announce the new agreement when it has been reached and approved. Flight has made, with approval from the NOAA, the TANDAR and a set of AMDAR observations temporarily available to the World Meteorological Organization available for free in order to help the World Meteorological Organization's access more aircraft weather observations during this pandemic and the resulting significant reduction of flights. As of 23 March, the European Center for Medium Range Weather Forecasting, or ECMWF, reported a 65% reduction in aircraft weather observations. Removing all of the weather, all of the aircraft-based observations from their data assimilation systems results in a degradation of short-range temperature in wind forecasts at the jet stream level of 15% and surface pressure forecasts of 3%. So this is very important and valuable, valuable data. The integration of flights data into their models is going quite well, and flight is happy to help the community in this time of great worldwide need for more aircraft-based observations. Our SAS revenues will be impacting the near to intermediate term as certain customers park a significant number of aircrafts in line with the ICAO observations I discussed earlier. The duration of the impact will largely follow the resumption of normal flight schedules by our customers. The impact has affected the customer base as a wave, with China being impacted first and then others following around the world. Within our data, which is the data we collect on our uptime system, we see China beginning to fly, to begin to start to fly more after having reached a minimum. So we remain hopeful that this continues and then this uh, succession of flying progresses around the world just as it instigated. Additionally, we see orders for hardware slowing down as some customers have rescheduled hardware deliveries and new contracts and purchase orders to the future when cash flows are more certain for those airlines. We also expect that our accounts receivable will grow as payment terms are exceeded as our customers manage their cash through this unprecedented period. For flight's part, we are also negotiating with suppliers for modified terms during this challenging period. We've taken internal steps to reduce cash burn, and we've temporarily suspended travel to protect our workers and to control expenses. We are pursuing some specific government programs in Canada and the United States that we feel uh, apply to our business, and that, if granted, will produce additional funds to help fund the company 
through this period of uncertainty. These uh, programs include both grants and loans. We will report the success of these applications as is necessary and appropriate. Despite this current macro environment, there are several reasons to, that we remain optimistic about 2020. In May, flight will be moving into a new lease space in Calgary, which will accommodate the continued growth of our company. The contract and the arrangements for this move were finalized last year. We are also making progress developing new and enhancing current hardware platforms, as well as improving our SaaS products. We expect to make progress cross-selling to our legacy and acquired customer bases with the complete flight product offerings once normalcy returns to the market. Additionally, we have submitted several significant proposals, which we believe will fuel additional growth for flight in 2020 should those contracts come to fruition. Finally, last year we began efforts to rebrand the customer and we will roll out uh, an improved website. We, we have developed some new advertising materials to highlight the significant changes that have happened at the company and, uh, and we will uh, be rolling out the rebranding. So I hope that you enjoy these changes and that they're as pleasing to you as they are to us. With that, I'm going to wrap up my prepared remarks and we'll turn to some questions that were submitted by email. The first uh, questions come from CL. And the questions are, in the news release stated March 25th, Flight does expect to continue receiving uninterrupted revenues from other sources during this challenging period. Aside from the tr traditional licensing fees, SaaS, hardware sales, and technical services, is Flight earning revenue from any partner towards the research and development of new products? So I explained a little bit uh, more on that comment in the uh, passage earlier. Uh, however, we are um, actively engaged with uh, several, by several I mean more than two, um, opportunities to jointly develop products with customers that could bring in additional revenues. None of those have been um, completed um, and there's no guarantees that they will complete, but we are actively pursuing several programs uh, that fall in that category. From the same news release, this is the second question. From the same news release, the company is discussing with customers the possibility of accelerating installations on aircraft that have been or will be grounded. Did Flight have any success when asking clients to accelerate installs for planes that are not presently flying? If so, what was the strategy used? And will it continue as the industry returns to relative normalcy? Um, well, we, we don't know if it will be successful yet. I have, we have reached out to several of our airlines and recommended that this is a great opportunity to do installations. We've received uh, positive feedback in some cases. We won't know until we get further down the road whether or not the airlines have had the opportunity to take advantage of this. So there's a lot of factors that go into this. The, the primary strategy that we're using, obviously, is the strategy that while the aircraft is grounded, it's, there's no better time to install than when it's grounded. The challenges that the airlines uh, need is that they are also uh, re reducing staff, so they may or may not have the uh, 
staff necessary to to perform the installations. And in some in some countries, the uh, the workforce at the airlines that work in maintenance and other areas are literally having difficulty getting to work just because of the government shutdowns and the limitations on uh, the ability to uh, go to work. So it's very dynamic. It will change. Um, and what we hope is that the uh, when we get to the end, there will have been progress made on more installations. We just we can't say yet whether or not it will have been successful. Another set of questions come from MB. The first of these, it says, any U.S. or Canadian programs available to help replace lost business? In the first interview on today's episode, I'll be talking with Global Eagle Entertainment about how they are supporting customers during this current time of uncertainty and also what the long-term impact of the reduction in travel demand for airlines could mean for companies such as Global Eagle Entertainment that provide connectivity service. So now let's get into our discussion with Global Eagle Entertainment. Uh, we have a very special guest on today. Mike, if you could just give our audience a little bit of introduction to yourself, your role, uh, your organization, and your primary responsibilities with that organization. Sure, no problem. Uh, first, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me, Woodrow. Uh, great to participate in this. Uh, I think it's a great, uh, great endeavor. Um, uh, my name is Mike Figgett. I'm the Senior VP of Aviation Connectivity at Global Legal Entertainment. Um, so I run our aviation connectivity team. We are the team that delivers internet access, entertainment, infotainment, and operational data to our airline customers. Um, and Global Legal as a whole, uh, we're in the business of connecting, entertainment, informing passengers and remote workers. Uh, we enrich the time that they spend in the air, at sea, and at remote locations with connectivity, entertainment, and application. Um, we participate in not just the aviation market, but also the maritime market and government services and land business as well. And I've been to Global Eagle's London office. Uh, where are you based, Mike? I'm based in our uh, Los Angeles office. So our, our corporate headquarters is in Los Angeles. Um, we have offices around the world. Though. So our London office is kind of our flagship uh, European office. Um, my main team, actually our engineering team, is in uh, a small town called Lombard, Illinois, outside of Chicago. Uh, and our maritime team is, uh, as you might expect, uh, they're in Florida. So they're in uh, Miramar, Florida. I see. And so let's talk about how Global Eagle has been working through this sort of uh, unprecedented time that, that has really impacted, you know, every industry really, um, you know, in a, in, but airline travel in, in a very serious way, most, you know, most noticeably with the drop in, uh, you know, travel demand. Um, what's been the biggest overall operational impact on a company like Global Eagle, given these sort of unique position that you all have within the aviation industry, just from an operational perspective? Well, I think from, a, from an operational perspective, our, our biggest impact has been our people. Um, so uh, we, we look at our people as being our most valuable asset. And so this has been a pretty dramatic change on, uh, on how our people operate as a, as a company, how we serve our customers, um, how, we, how we manage relationships, um, frankly. Um, so it's, it's no doubt this is the biggest thing to affect uh, the industry uh, ever. 
um, and the impact is felt across uh, all our sectors. Um, In-flight connectivity is particularly impacted, uh, as you say, because of the decline in travel. Um, we, um, we started early on this, uh, so we're a global operation. Um, so we've been following this because we've had teams in Asia uh, looking at the in-flight market. Uh, they got kind of the early impacts of this. Uh, so I think in our industry, we were probably one of the first to pull our teams out of uh, our offices. So we were pulling our teams out of offices uh, the first week of March. Um, and that was global pullout. Uh, so we went from a work, went to a work from home plan um, as early as possible, as we saw sort of the shock waves kind of go across the world. Um, and we've been operating on that basis since then. And it's, uh, you know, I think every, every uh, company has had challenges with a work from home strategy that, that came about as unexpected. Uh, but I got to say, our team has reacted, uh, reacted really well. Um, the next thing we've done is um, we've tried to, you know, we've, we've always tried to put customers um, as our, uh, you know, number one service uh, aspect of what we do. And so we're very customer focused. And so we've been engaging with our customers, uh, which has obviously presented challenges because we operate in the aviation industry. And a lot of our traditional engagement with customers is face-to-face, -face, handshakes. Um, it's traveling on their planes and experiencing their service and experiencing kind of what they want to deliver to their passengers. And that kind of went away. So uh, there's, a, there's always the old joke in the aviation business that, you know, it's hard, it's hard to schedule a video conference with an airline because um, they, they tend not to like that because they want you to fly their service. Um, but that's what we've done. So we've, uh, we've adapted as quickly as possible uh, to try and just do whatever we can to keep our customer services and our products and services uh, that we deliver to them going. Um, and in some cases, airlines have entirely kind of shut down operations. In some cases, they've minimized operations. In some cases, some of our airline customers are essentially operating with us as normal, um, just doing a work from home strategy, even if the passengers aren't flying. So it's, uh, what I'd say is uh, we've experienced uh, a truly global event, and the uh, reaction has not been universal around the world. It's been uh, one in waves, timing, and two in different reactions. Um, and I think we're, uh, we're a little bit of kind of going with the flow, too, on, on information. Uh, so in the first couple of weeks, uh, we, saw, um, we saw requests for changes from customers. We saw uh, adaptation on how we deliver stuff. Um, you know, thing, little things like volume of content, uh, and then, um, you know, going maybe complementary on uh, Wi-Fi access, uh, looking at sort of other service, uh, service um, modalities. Um, and then uh, we saw a lot of discussion points and a lot of, um, you know, confusion. And I think one of, one of our roles has been to take that global perspective that we have uh, and kind of, you know, get through the confusion and try and guide, uh, guide our teams internally. Uh, and then guide our customers on, hey, this is, this is what we can do. This is how the industry can shift to this. Um, I'd say the biggest question that everyone is facing is, uh, what is the end date? Uh, you know, with, uh, with a lot of previous crises that have been encountered in the world, um, there was an end date. There was sort of an obvious kind of, okay, um, we know we're going to get back flying, and you know, you know it's probably going to be X date. Um, I think there's a little still, there's still a lot of confusion on when the end date of this is. And I think that'll guide, uh, guide a lot of the actions that are going to happen over the next couple quarters. And, you know, just also want to learn from you, Mike, you know, over your career in aviation, you know, have you worked through past, uh, you know, crisis type of situations like this? And if you have, would you say this is just something that's just beyond anything you, you've ever seen, like a, a 9-11 or a you know, 2008 financial crisis? Is this kind of just beyond those, the way it's impacted the, the airline industry? Uh, it's, it's 
not even in the same ballpark. It's so beyond. Uh, it's it's like nothing. I think anything. I think it's nothing like anyone since the dawn of flying has seen. Uh, to be frank, M- maybe you could say World War II was the last time there was such a dramatic effect on the aviation industry, where um, you know aviation became a dangerous thing, and uh, you know production moved uh, to wartime production. Um, but nothing in a you know commercial sense has ever happened like this before. Nine um, Eleven is is a, a what a lot of people talk as an analogy to this. Uh, but Nine Eleven was a very U.S. centric thing, um, clearly. And Nine Eleven even um, even in Nine Eleven uh, again there was a defined date of planes planes flying. You knew planes were going to fly within a week or two. Um, getting all those planes down on the ground safely was just a miraculous uh, achievement. Uh, but from an industry perspective, you knew they were going to be back. So my, my background in aviation, um, I, I was at the startup um, that was a predecessor company of Global Eagle, Row 44, uh, kind of brought in-flight connectivity back into the market after, um, after Boeing uh, tried it with connection by Boeing. Um, so we, we were at the beginning of this. The company actually received its first major funding round in 2007. And so we've weathered crises, but different crises. So we've weathered the financial crisis, uh, 2008, 2009, 2010. Uh, not exactly a great time to uh, being a startup in uh, in the aviation business when you know oil prices are skyrocketing. Uh, raising money was difficult. Uh, so uh, I, the the team has weathered storms of uncertainty on kind of when the products are going to be delivered, how to get how to get things flowing into the market, dealing with uh, lots of different customers around the world that have uh, their own their own experiences. Um, uh, and their own sort of different economic um, situations in their home countries, uh, in their home region. So I think there's there's been some weathering of it. This is this is truly just global, and 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 we we talk global about a lot of things, and you know global economy, a global a global this, a global that. Uh, I think this is truly one of the first times we've really felt a global um, and such an immediate effect on on truly all markets. It's it's really just unprecedented. And, you know, I, I want to also follow up on something you mentioned earlier that is interesting, uh, that, you know, a lot of the industry is working from home right now. Um, if you look at a lot of big hub airports, you'll see, you know, parked airplanes, you know, just throughout the runway that, that aren't flying. Uh, but you are kind of staying in touch with your customers, um, considering there are so many grounded airplanes that do have connectivity and IFE on them. Uh, what types of things are your customers wanting to know at this time where, where you know, a lot of their airplanes are grounded? Um, you know, are there still you know, questions about just per- performance or functionality or maintenance? Or w- what types of inquiries are you getting about those grounded airplanes? Um, I'd say we're getting inquiries on a few levels. So the, the first level is you know, grounding an airplane, putting it, putting it down has implications, regulatory implications. Uh, so the airlines are having to make choices on the amount of maintenance they do on the aircraft. Are they putting aircraft in long-term storage, short-term storage? Um, you know, how often they're flown? Um, most of our customers are looking at this as a, a still a relatively temporal item. They're not looking at this as a a super long-term, multi-year, multi-quarter item. Um, so they're, you know, doing short-term measures on the planes, and they're taking active steps to maintain the plane. So we we know we know some of our customers are are um, looking at their aircraft and saying, hey, how do I how do I make sure this plane can come back into service quickly? Um, um, some of our some of our customers, um, you know, we're in an active installation program on some of our customers right now. Uh, one customer in particular in Europe. 
And we, um, you know, we were looking at, well, okay, can we use this as an opportunity to accelerate installs? And we're still looking at that opportunity. We're looking at opportunities like that since the planes are on the ground. There's still a lot of uncertainty. Um, there's a lot of financial uncertainty at the airlines, and there's a lot of, um, a lot of just general uncertainty and safety, uh, safety precautions in the marketplace. So we haven't done that, but those are the types of things we, we, um, we're looking at. And that's what we would normally expect. So normally when there's an event like this, um, and, and hard to put in perspective an event like this when there's been nothing like this, but when there's an event that causes aircraft to be on the ground, you know, call it a short-term decline in demand or even seasonal demand stuff, most airlines look to utilize that time to do things on planes. And we're not, we're not really seeing that right now. We're seeing more of a just maintain the planes, get them ready to get back in service, uh, but not a, hey, let's, let's do aggressive maintenance on, on aircraft. Let's do upgrades. Let's do things like that. Um, but that's what, one, that's what we expect to see in the coming months as more certainty comes back to the marketplace, more certainty on when planes will start flying, when the passenger public will start flying. What um, you know? What will load factors be in six months? Uh, what will, uh, you know? When what will the volume of flights be in six months compared to today? And, and we're looking at that data too, and trying to you know, trying to formulate our own internal perspective as well as kind of engaging with our customers and and being there to support them on um, you know their decisions that they want to make on how how to bring back uh, bring back the market. And clearly, everybody uh, everybody wants to fly. Everybody wants to get back out in the world. I, I was commenting to my wife actually recently that um, you know I travel a lot. And uh, the world is smaller when you travel, and the world seems smaller uh, when you're when you're able to go places. Um, people seem closer together, and we just know fundamentally, it's, it's people in the industry know that will be the case again. People will want that. And countries, you hear leaders in individual countries talking about that from an individual perspective, from like a, a family perspective, going to restaurants, going to uh, sporting events, going, uh, you know, going for a walk in the park, um, and kind of many places in the world were just not at that level yet. Um, take it a step beyond that, you know, beyond a walk in the park. People want the world to be small, and uh, travel is the thing, and um, aviation is the thing that brings that. So that that we we know the 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 heart of the demand is there. We know the desire is there. It's just a question: of how can we make it happen? How can we make it happen in this environment? And how can, and, and that in this environment, I don't just mean sort of a COVID environment. I mean an economic environment too. I mean there needs to be an economic reality. The airlines were doing incredibly well. Airlines almost universally around the world were doing incredibly well. Um, over the past few years. And it's a well-known thing that travel was up. Um, I saw, a, I don't know if you happen to see this, but I saw a graph online uh, that showed the travel decline in early March, mid-March, I call it, mid to late March. And it showed, um, it showed the percentage of flights. And even at sort of that decline then in kind of mid-March, and, and certainly we've gone lower now, it was above, uh, I think, 2017 flight levels. So in just that period, even with, Looking at dramatic declines in flights, we weren't we weren't we weren't bottoming out. Um, now I think we I think everybody would agree now when you know uh, an airline like Lufthansa, an airline like Air France, uh, airline like Delta, an airline like Southwest has uh, just such a drop off in quantity of flights and and parking aircraft. Uh, I think I probably saw one of a similar picture that you saw at uh, Atlanta Hartsfield, where I think three of the five runways at one point, uh, maybe more now, are uh, used to park aircraft. So just a stunning sight. Um, but we know those planes will want to get back in service. And right now, we know our customers are looking for, uh, looking for kind of that big bounce back. So they're keeping their planes ready to go. They're keeping their planes maintained. There, there's difficulty, of course. Again, there's safety aspects of this, and it involves um, you know, maintenance teams, um, and sometimes not at kind of the home airports, sometimes at third-party airports. Uh, so there's travel to those airports for maintenance teams. 
but we know that's their that's their focus as they want to get the want to get back in service. And speaking of the the airlines and you know in flight connectivity and, and what Global Eagle provides, uh, you, know, you know, covering this topic over the last five or six years, it's been really interesting just to see how once the airlines get connectivity or or operators, period. They learn, you know, what the passengers want. They try to advance it, and then they come back to solutions providers like yourself and say, "Hey, this is what we'd like to see in the next generation version." Um, you know, I did a story a couple months ago on Tap Portugal and how they're trying to use analytics and how they, um, you know, select what movies they they present on certain flights based on, uh, you know, the the interest in in the um, sort of rate of of uh, engagement with certain content that they've seen on different routes. Um, and I wanted to get your perspective. You mentioned travel took a nosedive over the last month. What do you think sort of the long-term viability and appetite for continuing to just advance not only the um, acquisition of connectivity by airlines, but also to say, this is what we'd like to do in the next generation of our, you know, connectivity that we provide. Um, how do you think that looks, you know, considering the time we're in right now? I mean, I think, I think this time period is going to have a lot of airlines reflecting on how they operate and sort of the economics of their operations, the business of their operation, the flexibility of their operation. Um, and connectivity is just a key piece of that. Connectivity is at the heart of that. So we believe, you know, we're big believers in connectivity, clearly. Um, uh, we believe connectivity is just a key for airline, uh, airlines going forward. And it started out with the passenger. So it start, it's, you know, everything should start out with a passenger and what that passenger wants and needs. And it's just massively clear passengers want connectivity. They want to be connected. Um, the economics of it can be challenging. The um, implementation of it can be challenging. But the desire there is just, it's just overwhelming. Um, from an airline perspective, uh, we're, we're, we've always engaged uh, our business as a highway. So our connectivity uh, pipeline is a highway, and highways have lanes in it. And the passenger connectivity piece of it was always and is always um, just one lane of that highway. And it's an important lane. It's sort of the launch lane. Uh, but the other lanes of the highway, we've, we've only begun to explore. So operational data, we think, is going to be just a key aspect of the value proposition of connectivity. And uh, the killer apps associated with that, a lot of the times, they're, um, you know, they're, they're, they're being teased out. Um, they're not there. There's not an obvious one. But it's such an overwhelming thing to think that a plane, um, it, it's almost surprising today, I think it would be surprising to the general public to think that planes aren't connected. That planes aren't part of sort of a digital infrastructure. I think I think the general public would be very very surprised at that. I think from the airlines' perspective, they're not surprised at that because they've been used to that for decades and decades of operation. And now um, now that digital fabric is going to be extended to the planes, and you can see a whole bunch of well, what we could do this. What if we do this? Uh, this would be great. This would be this would be a huge improvement in our operations. And it's a question of how can you sequence those things in to make business cases for each one and then add them all up and say, does that, does that seal the deal on a business case for connectivity? Um, I, I don't think anyone would uh, disagree that connectivity is hard. Connectivity is a disruption in an airline's operation. It involves drilling holes in airplanes. It involves sort of a push. It involves a change in the way of thinking about an airplane. An airplane is um, a node. Uh, airplane, a node in a digital fabric, a digital infrastructure. 
um, to entertain the passengers for sure, to connect the passengers for sure, but also to connect the airline, connect the plane. Um, but you can see that the, the road, the road is uh, the road's already been paved. The road's been paved by EFBs, you know, um, iPad-based EFBs, computer-based EFBs. Uh, EFBs. Um, think of just the revolution and change versus flight banks. Um, and then having those to be able to have um, a two-way connection from a hotel room, even. Um, was a huge revolution. Now we're enabling those to be connected from the cockpit um, to, to you know, deliver real-time information, such as sea change in operations there. Um, clearly, the, the, uh, the next step is to get data off the plane, to get data that's on the plane, off the plane, so it can be analyzed. Um, now, some of the data can come through the connectivity system. Some of the data is already there. You know, pitch, roll, yaw, we have that because uh, we're tracking satellites. We're tracking, uh, we're tracking everything, uh, speed. Um, uh, fuel consumption obviously would be, be a big one. Hardware performance would be a big one. All, all of those things we think would be the next steps. So w we don't think this changes the dynamic of connectivity. We actually think it makes it more important for an airline. As airlines become really, um, you know, digital operations, uh, really, um, as they adopt digital operations throughout their organization, we think it's an obvious thing that the plane is a piece of that. The plane is the most important asset for an airline. So it should, of course, be connected to everything. Um, and we just think it'll, it'll start to be the default that, of, of course, that item will have to be connected to, you know, the digital infrastructure that the airline operates. Um, we also think it, it, it brings about flexibility. So one of the things you're seeing in airlines today is they're, you know, they're taking seats out of plane to enable cargo um, uh, for medical supply flights. Just a, a, a great thing that you, you wouldn't have necessarily thought in that airlines could adapt that fast, but they, they are. And in less than a month, you're seeing uh, Air Canada take out seats on 777s and use them for cargo. Um, that different mode of operations, you require the, it, it almost requires the airline, the airplane to be a digital asset as part of an infrastructure. So you know, you, know what's, you know what's going on with that thing. You know what's gone board. Just like a FedEx or um, a UPS or an Amazon has with their planes, and you can track packages. You know where stuff is. So we, we, we just fundamentally believe that airplanes will be part of a future digital operated airline and the airlines are getting there. Um, and we think this, an event like this will, will cause them to take a step back and look at where they're investing and want to invest more in those types of services, both on the ground and in the air. So we, we, we don't think this is, we, we think this is an operational hiccup on sort of, you know, airplane flying. Uh, but we don't see it as any any uh, effect at all on the desire for connectivity from airlines, from passengers, um, from anybody who actually experiences it on board the plane. That is correct. Well, Mike, some really good insight there. Um, you know, it's been good to 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 finally get able be able to talk about connectivity within this series. Um, he is Mike Piggott with Global Eagle. Mike, thanks for coming on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's a great time. In the second and final interview of today's episode, I caught up with Honeywell Aerospace to discuss how they recently supported a very unique mission that saw the Boeing 767-300 normally used by the New England Patriots converted into a connected air cargo aircraft, supporting a mission to transport protective masks from China to the United States. So now let's get into our discussion with Honeywell Aerospace. 
Jason, if you could uh, just introduce yourself and sort of your role with uh, Honeywell, and uh, we'll discuss our uh, topic for today. Sure. Thanks, Woodrow. Uh, this is Jason Wissing from Honeywell, and uh, I lead our, our sales team for um, our connectivity products for airlines and business aviation. Um, and that covers um, some of our connectivity hardware and avionics, as well as um, the services that can be provided by that equipment. And I'm very familiar with Honeywell Aerospace. Um, one of our editors for Avionics International, Frank Wolf, recently did a very interesting article covering some enablement of connectivity for a flight to China using a Boeing 767-300ER, typically used by the New England Patriots. Uh, and there was some involvement from Honeywell there. Now, can you just give us a little bit of background on what Honeywell's involvement in uh, enabling connectivity for that flight was? Sure. So for that specific flight, um, you know, the aircraft, um, I don't believe had been flying for a bit of time since the, the uh, NFL offseason had started. And we were contract, contacted by Team 125, who's the the owner and operator of the aircraft, they mentioned that they were, you know, looking into potentially doing this type of humanitarian flight, um, the route that they'd be taking. And we talked about, you know, the services that they would like to have um, as they get, as they were getting ready to make this flight. Um, and we, Honeywell um, was really kind of involved in, in three areas. So, the first thing that needed to be done was uh, an update to the navigation database for the flight management system. Um, and it was, it required a bit of customization to make sure that we could, we could fit all of the data that they needed for the route that they were going to fly um, into um, the version of the FMS that they have on the airplane. So the team at Honeywell did uh, some engineering work to customize the database and get it turned around very quickly. Um, Get it, get it released and produced so it could be um, sent off to the MRO and, and get loaded into the airplane. Um, the second thing we did is we reactivated the, the KA band um, service that serves the cabin of the aircraft. Typically, it's used for you know, passenger internet connectivity or streaming movies or, or whatever the passengers want to do. Uh, in this case, because it was going to be more of a cargo flight, uh, Team 125 wanted it to get reactivated just so they had, you know, another communication channel um, to the outside world available to them. So it's not something that they can use necessarily to talk to traffic control or anything like that. But if they wanted to check weather or they needed to send a text or an email back to their operations center, uh, it was just another tool that was going to be available uh, to them. So we reactivated that service. Um, that, that we typically provide during the season to the airplane. Uh, in this case, we were just providing it for this flight, and that comes through the, the Honeywell JetWave system that is already installed on the airplane. The, the third thing that we did is we worked um, quite a bit with them to reactivate some of the APHIS and ACARS functionality um, to make sure that they had multiple methods of uh, communicating with air traffic control during the flight. So the HF radios were there. I believe they were um, they were already functional. I, we weren't really involved in doing anything with those. But what we did work with is um, turning on the satellite ACARS capabilities. So 
they had a second link available if you know they went out of range of HF, or perhaps they just weren't getting the the voice quality that they needed uh, to talk to ATC uh, when they were in the transit oceanic part of the flight. So we reactivated the satellite ACARS capabilities so that they had that second form of long-range communications available. And so the primary kind of functionality that was enabled was for the pilot uh, electronic flight bag usage? Well, so for when we talk about the K-band cabin um, SATCOM, they could, they could connect, you know, if they're using iPads or tablets as EFBs, and they needed, a, you know, just a regular IP internet connection, they could certainly use that, that system for that because it provides, you know, more of a broadband type connection to the outside world. So you could check satellite weather or you could, um, you know, you could check anything. You could check in with your, your ground handler to make sure that um, all of the, the ground handling arrangements were made. So they did have that um, capability set up to communicate with the outside world while they were en route. Um, the ACARS and APHIS capability that we set up over uh, Datalink is really more reserved for communicating with air traffic control uh, or um, communicating with, you know, the home operations center, um, you know, just via simple, basically text messages. Um, and and it, it also allows the ability to get some, some textual weather. So, you know, an ATIS or um, something like that, but it's, you know, it's very text-based. There's no graphics or anything like that. So those two systems provided, um, you know, communications capability that they could decide to use based on who they were trying to communicate with. And the primary updates, were they just sort of software updates? I mean, Honeywell was able to pretty much support that remotely? Yeah, pretty much everything we did was either... Um, we, we really didn't even update any software. We were more either updating a configuration or a database in the case of the flight management system. The, the core operational software remained unchanged. Um, we were just updating the navigation data that's stored um, within the FMS. And for the ACARS, APHIS system, as well as the KA band system, uh, we were really just reactivating service on equipment that was already on the airplane. And that can be done remotely, um, which is what we did in this case. Now, I do believe there were technicians from um, the MRO that were on the aircraft and were available in case, you know, there was something that needed to be done on the air, airplane, like, um, you know, download a log file or anything like that. But our technicians were, were working remotely with um, the technicians that were uh, on site with the aircraft at the MRO. And, you know, considering the, the type of mission that that, uh, you know, airplane served and, and was able to get some, like you mentioned, weather updates and, and uh, maintenance logs using connectivity, um, do you expect to see that same type of request from, you know, possibly others that feature Honeywell connectivity on their aircraft? There's a lot of, you know, passenger carriers right now that are kind of reconfiguring and, and looking to do these types of air cargo flights. Um, definitely. So I, you know, a lot of those you mentioned say, um, you know, there's lots of stories out there about airlines that are reconfiguring or, you know, repurposing aircraft to do more cargo flying. If those airplanes had been in service recently from a, a passenger point of view, 
there probably isn't a whole lot that needs to be done because unless the airplane's just flying, um, you know, you're taking an airplane that was maybe only doing domestic U.S. flying and now you're going to go international, there, there could be some things you need to do. Um, but generally, you know, you're talking about longer range, wide body aircraft. So most of them probably had that capability configured already. Um, but we have seen a few other requests from um, some other customers that want to use their aircraft for a cargo mission or a humanitarian mission. And, um, you know, just reaching out to us to make sure that everything is set up and configured um, so that they can effectively use the aircraft for that mission. Right. Yeah, it is really interesting to understand how, you know, connectivity is able to play a role in, in some of these, uh, you know, air cargo relief flights. So, um, Jason, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks a lot. Appreciate the time. So that brings us to the conclusion of our four-part podcast series. I want to thank all of our guests and everyone that listened to the series as well. Considering that this is still a topic that is impacting our industry, look out for more coverage of it on our podcast very soon. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. Thanks again for tuning in to the Connected Aircraft Podcast. <laughs>